Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I am here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back um, doing uh, a new podcast, one that was sent in by a listener, uh, a question that was sent in by a listener about education. So I will just read the question, and then we'll kind of just, uh, I'll kind of give a breakdown of how we're going to go through this podcast and how we're going to answer this question. Yeah, but, we feel like this is a question a lot of young families yeah. are asking. Yeah, a question that I, that I'm asking, a question that, that, I mean, if anybody who's having kids is this asking this This is probably this question. the f- maybe fourth most common conversation I'm having with families with younger kids. Right yeah, now. right. I mean, it's a big deal. And so the, the question is, um, how should Christian parents educate their kids? Um, homeschooling, private school, private Christian school, public school, some sort of co-op, some sort of, you know, mix of two things. Like what's, how are we supposed to educate our um, children? And so I think the way that we're going to go through this is we're going to kind of break down the three main ways of educating your kids, which would be public schooling. And we're going to, we're going to give you pros and cons to that private schooling. We're going to give you pros and cons to that. And then homeschooling and pros and cons to that. Um, Yeah. Okay. Can I, can I make a pet peeve adjustment here? Yeah, I don't care. So I agree with Milton Friedman that public schools, what we call public schools, should be referred to as government schools. Okay. They are not, because this our, all of our, quote, <laughs> yeah, private schools, right. they're not private. They're public. Yeah. They're privately run, but they are for the public. They're for the Anybody public. in the public yeah. can enroll. Anybody yeah. can be a part of the school. Yeah. It's not like you have to be a member of High Point Church to be part of the school. Right. Anybody who comes into our church, we yeah. welcome. Right. We encourage them to put their kid in the school. We have Muslims, atheists. Really? Irreligious families put their kids in our schools, right? Because like if you're you an, a good an, education, if you're an Indian right? immigrant and you come to America and you find out what's going what's being taught in our public schools. Yeah. And Indian Indian yeah. culture in these kinds of ways is pretty conservative. Yeah. They're just like, I'm not gonna I'm my not kids not gonna be taught that lunacy. And so yeah. the, the, we've had atheist Indian parents who like their dads have PhDs in engineering, they're working at some firm here yeah. and they're immigrants. And they put their kids in our school because they're not Christians. They don't really want their kids to become Christians, but they would rather have their kids be proselytized about Jesus, but being told that stealing is categorically wrong, for yeah. example, than the alternative right. in the government schools. So yeah. what I would like to say is there are government schools and yeah. there are privately run schools. Yeah. Right. And this will be an interesting... In both our public schools, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think this will be an interesting conversation between you and I because, I mean, we're having a child in November mm-hmm. and we're, we're, we're seriously... I mean, one of the things that Andrew and I talked about while dating, which is one of the most important things for me, mm-hmm. was when we have kids, how are we going to educate these kids? Because I had a really poor... I had a really poor experience in the public schools mm-hmm. or in the government schools. Andrea actually had a positive experience in the public schools. Yeah. And the and we and we found that the difference between her experience and my experience is that she was in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin and I was in Madison, Wisconsin. And the public right. schools were much different. Now Yeah, I was I lived in like cow country in northern New York near Fort Drum. So yeah. like about twenty minutes from the Canadian border. And my government school experience was actually quite good. Yeah. I mean, quite, uh, quite good. Good in a lot of ways. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I think, but I think part of the difference is, and we'll probably talk about this a little more, yeah. is there is such a thing as a Christian education. Yeah. There's such a thing as a Christian compatible education. Yeah. And then there's such a thing as a Christian acidic. Okay. Education. Yeah. So a lot of people had, a lot of people who are like out of high school, let's say. Yeah. Especially if you're my age, like you're, I'm in, I'm in my forties, say. Yeah. Um, our experience in school was that it wasn't Christian, but it was Christian compatible. There was very little explicitly taught in the public schools yeah. that was explicitly incompatible with Christian faith. Yeah. If you became right? a Christian after going to the public schools, there wouldn't be a ton of like 
the knowledgeable adjust, right. adjustments that you would have to make. Right. Would, this is why evolution was such a big hot button issue. Yeah. Right. Because people are like, yeah, because evolutionists are just so godless. Well, I, okay. There are some that are yeah. very godless. Yes. However, it's also was the big issue. Yeah. Like when I was in school, like we were still taught that promiscuity was basically wrong. Like yeah. we knew everybody was doing it, but it was like, yeah, but there's a lot of costs and it's really not good for you. And it's not really that moral. Right. And you know what I mean? Or like, um, so respecting your parents yeah. or we weren't encouraged to like come up with new pronouns for ourselves yeah. or explore the idea that maybe I wasn't a little boy or these girls weren't little girls or, yeah. you know, like some of the stuff that you're kind of like, okay, you're literally revolutionarily tearing apart the fabric of our culture intentionally because you want to undo it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is also true. Not. Like in English classes, like there's a lot of, cho- there, there has been a lot of choice in English teachers what mm-hmm. books to read? Like, what do you assign? Do you, do you assign yeah. Grapes of Wrath or do you assign Sid- Siddhartha? Do you assign Fahrenheit 451, which is an anti-authoritarian, anti-government book? Yeah. Or 1984, which is an anti-communist yeah. book or Animal Farm? Right. Or do you, like, do you do something like that's new and woke about, like, how big government is great and yeah. how, like, it tells us the right things to do? And- I mean, the big one is To Kill a Mockingbird, the one that they, I think, in a lot of Madison schools, at least, is not, it's not, it's not allowed anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And To Kill Mockingbird is an incredibly powerful anti-slavery, anti-racism yeah. book. And it has the N-word in it right. because it's trying to stay true to the time period of which it's trying to represent. Well, it wasn't trying. It was literally written in that it time It was written period. in like, that, yeah. Like, to Kill Mockingbird was written in the age of segregation. Yeah. And Wait, so when in, in the yeah. age of discrimination. And so. What, what When was it written? In the 1900s? Yeah, like in the forties or something. I don't know the, the yeah. date off the top of my head, okay. but it was like yeah. so so when I was at Lynn Haven Methodist Church, yeah, there was a guy who went to my church. His name was Stan Stan Lee. He was Stan in his nineties. Yeah. And his brother, Harper Lee, had written to Kill a Mockingbird. Really? And I'm assuming they were of similar ages, right? Yeah. So the book had to be at least maybe fifty or sixty years old by that point. Wow. Yeah. Right. And that was in 2004 or five. Yeah. Right. So, so like it's pre, it's Jim Crow. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's in, in it. So like if you write a book like To Kill a Mockingbird and you don't use the N word. Right. You're writing a fake book. Yeah. Yeah. Just straight, very straightforward. Right. Yeah. Same thing with, to, with, uh, is to a Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. I mean, you read, you read a book in the Twain era mm-hmm. of life on the Mississippi and you have black people in it and there's, and you have racial issues in the book and nobody right. uses the N word. And like, right. that's just not a truthful book. Right. It, erasing a, a, a very important historical, right. s- historically significant thing like racism doesn't, I don't even know if that can really make people feel better. I mean, right. maybe reading the book, you would feel better because you don't have to read those words. But at the end of the day, like understanding the history is going to make you, I, I, it's going to make me feel feel more equipped to not do that crap again. Like how can I know not to do it again if I don't even know what happened? Right. Well, and to control authors that way too. Yeah. Basically eliminates whole generations of authors. So now you're only reading books written more recently, which means you've basically lost one of the key elements of literature, which is being able to move through periods of time. Yeah. Like it's like, I don't, I think it's better to to read a book about the 1860s or fifties written in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. Then, then somebody who lives now. Yeah. Cause you, like when Mark Twain wrote about that, he literally lived through the time. The closer you he are to it. He was personally reflecting yeah, on it in a time yeah, of change. Yeah. And now we're reading about that. Right. Like, and it's not you just get like. the mind of the person who is there. It's yeah. almost like you're there with them. Right. Yeah. And like, 
the whole view of childhood is different. Yeah. Right. right. Like and yeah. to have somebody in 2022 yeah. or one write a book about the 1880s and right. be like, well, this is better than Huck Finn. No, it isn't. Right. For a number of reasons. One, right. this author isn't as good as Mark Twain. Yeah. And two, <laughs> I mean, there's like a lot of reasons. And so, yeah. so that is a big issue in yeah. the schools the is how are we training kids yeah. with literature and fiction mm-hmm. and so on. And again, you have mm-hmm. this, like, you have this explicitly Christian possibility, mm-hmm. Christian compatible possibility mm-hmm. and Christian acidic possibility. Yeah. And what people don't understand is that for a lot of the government schools, there's been a really strong move from Christian compatible to Christian acidic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is an enormous difference Yeah, because when school was outlawed, when prayer was outlawed from schools, 1963, you, there were two things that were normally yeah. happening in those schools, right? So you had one, you had prayer, right? Yeah. But then you also had in-school religious education. And in most cases, that in-school religious education was, di- was diverse. Yeah. Now, there was a significant amount of anti-Catholic bias in a number of places. Yeah. And some of the early court cases that broke this up were Catholics suing, Yeah. right? Yeah, and I remember when I was a kid, I, we left school to go to religious education nearby. Yeah. But my school was literally next door to a church. Yeah. To a Catholic church. So we literally walked a hundred yards to get religious education yeah. and it was part of the school day every other week. Does that make sense? Yeah. And my church in that church provided it. Right. Yeah. And my mom signed me up for it. Yeah. So, so there was religious education in schools. Mm-hmm. That religious education was closely connected with the moral education of the schools. Right. The moral education of the school and the parents was aligned yeah. and it was expected to be aligned. And there was this, there was this Latin phrase that was used in colleges, yeah. even in colleges up until recently called in local parentis, meaning right. in the place of the parent. Yeah. So the teacher was always considered to be in the, they, what they were doing is they were the parent for their convenience was delegating their job Parenting of teaching their job. kid to the teacher. Yeah. And therefore the teacher was responsible to teach their children right. in relationship to how they would understand the parents the wanting parent. their children to be taught. Which is now what, that is very different than a teacher right. not reporting things to parents now right. that they have taught and encouraged in kids, yeah. thinking that the parents would do something if they found out. I think the first thing, actually, not thinking about this, the first thing that we should discuss is just the basic general question of what is education. Like, how would you define education? Because this is something um, that I think. When I look at like the statements of education or whatever from like Harvard and Yale back when they started, Mm -hmm. their goal was to like build up godly men to go out and be functional, functional parts of society or whatever. And it was about God and Christ and things like that. Oh yeah. All the, all the utterly godless Ivy League schools were started as pastoral training institutions. Calvinist to like pretty Calvinist. In many cases, Calvinist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what would you define as, and what would you say education is as as somebody asked you, what's education? Yeah. I would say the alleviation of ignorance and the formation Mm -hmm. of persons for Mm -hmm. a knowledgeable and virtuous life. Yeah. 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 And and the virtue part is really important to me. I think education is supposed to form because I don't think you can talk about information devoid of the values yeah. it's connected to because you I, I don't think you can talk about the true without well without talking about it in relationship to the good and the beautiful. Like and as virtue I mean maybe maybe you can't substitute this but could you substitute it just for character? Yeah, I think character tends to be a weaker and more general word, but yeah, I think so. Yeah, but uh, part of the issue with virtue, and this is true for character, is that that the good that should be developed into a person has been habituated into them. Yeah. And one of the things that we pretend isn't true is how strongly habituation affects human persons. Hmm. 
Like before we're five years old, we're already taught by imitation and by the people we love what we should like, care about and be interested in. Yeah. And then in the years closely after that, we're creating a general moral formation of the world. Our sense of aesthetics or beauty is well is well formed already. And so so like these things like happen really quickly and they're confirmed and affirmed by the people who are authorities in our life, like teachers. And they're they're ordered by things we read, like fiction and literature and poetry. And so what we have kids read, mm-hmm. like, I think some, some people are like, they want kids to read things that are transgressive in high school. Let's read something mm-hmm. that's transgressive. that's going to open their mind. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, yeah, but you, it's almost like these people don't understand that there's a formational process that, that has to be habituated over a long period of time. Right. And so they think that they're at leisure to do whatever they freaking feel like. it. Yeah. And so, and so they're like, so let's. You know, like we, we don't have to do anything. It's, it's, it's kind of the specter of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, right? That like mm-hmm. the noble, everybody's a noble savage. Like ignorance inherently isn't a wrong thing. It's like, it's society that screws people up. Yeah. And so therefore the more we're transgressive against society in our education, the more the person can, re- the, the child can retain their noble savage, which is the most virtuous and noble part of them. Right. Yeah. It's essentially romanticism in yeah. the negative sense. Yeah. C.S. Lewis and others would have argued, no, what we need is the other kind of romanticism. Yeah. One that in, in instills good value and values in people. And that is habituated by parenting and care and focus yeah. on the good. And, and both from Aristotle up until the Anglophiles in the last century, it was believed by virtually everybody that if you don't form a kid right in their early years, they become psychologically incapable mm-hmm. of grappling with the larger questions of life, mm-hmm. whether those are political questions of justice, whether mm-hmm. those are moral questions that inhabit most of the important areas of their life, or right. whether they are the religious questions that can make us able to be spiritual. Right. We can deform kids earlier than that, right? Mm-hmm. And the overemphasis on trying to make them quote scientists yeah. that you that that like all the TED Talks seem to think is cool. Let's <laughs> yeah. get more kids into like AI yeah. and in virtual reality because it'll make them scientists. What right. they mean by that is it makes them men without chests. They, yeah. It makes them floating men in intellect that mm-hmm. can only be interested in the world of the stomach, mm-hmm. which science is producing technologies for. Right. But it eradicates their ability to be virtuous scientists. And as yeah. CSO said in <laughs> right. in uh, Abolition mm-hmm. of Man, he's like, listen, a virtuous scientist wouldn't do to pickles mm-hmm. what we do, are, are threatening to do to men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the, the morality of our scientific pursuits and technological pursuits right. is rooted in whether or not we have what Lewis called chests. That mm-hmm. is the mind <clears throat> habituated in the heart. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it this way, and this will be a short riff, but I think this is really important. Mm-hmm. There was a book that came out not too long ago called um, it was this, like the something in the emissary, okay. the elephant in the emissary, I think it is. And okay. the mental picture is, is that you've got this huge elephant and then you've got a person sitting on top of the elephant mm-hmm. and the, the person sitting on top of the element is like your prefrontal cortex. It's your, like your rational mind. And okay. it's like, this okay. is right. This is wrong. This is good. Yeah. This is bad. It's the, like your critical self. It, yeah. Okay. The elephant is like your you. stomach. It's the emotions. It's yeah. desire. Right. right. And basically the argument was, is we, um, we Americans, we people, Right. We want to believe that like we do everything rationally, but really the rationality is just riding the elephant wherever it goes and comes yeah. up with reasons why it's okay. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting about that is, is that the classical way of understanding the human being had a third category mm-hmm. that you had the stomach or the lower, the, the region of the human being that it was focused on desire. What modern like scientific reductionists would call the, the lizard brain, mm-hmm. right? 
the area of desire, right? And then you have your prefrontal cortex or you have your, like your rational mind, like this is good, this is bad, right? It's like, it's like the little guy with the bow tie who like talks about the catechism. That's wrong. You can't do that, right? Right. And so what keeps your bowels like, I'm going to have sex with that woman. And like your, your like bow tie guys like uh, yeah. uh, sex before marriage is wrong, right? Yeah. Like, right. And so the, the elephant in the emissary is like, don't you see like the elephant's going to always win, right? Mm. What Lewis would have said was, no, there's this, there's this, there's the head, there's the stomach and there's the chest. And what he meant by chest was the heart, the soul. Yeah. That is what is in the mind that's seen as good, true and beautiful mm-hmm. has to be habituated into the loves hmm. so that the properly romanticized loves of virtue become habituated and, and habit is a labor saving device. It's like a lever. Mm-hmm. So you know how like with a lever, you can like stick it under something that weighs a thousand pounds and get out on the lever weighs and you like with a hundred pounds of pull, you can mm-hmm. like flip the thing. That's what virtue is like. Virtue mm-hmm. is a labor saving device, like a washing machine. Right. And so all of the labor it would take to steer the elephant can't be done by the mind. It can only mm-hmm. be done by the heart, but the heart can only control and say to the elephant, no, if it's habituated in virtue, which can only be done through true education. Yeah. And the problem that Lewis brought up in the abolition of man is, is that our education is set up to create men without chests. Mm-hmm. That is human beings that do that. That middle area has not been developed. Have, it just doesn't even exist. Yeah. And so he says, the problem is not that it's just, that mm-hmm. you have bad men. He's like, you have something that wouldn't have been recognized by most of humanity as men at all. As a, you don't have a man. Right. Yeah. They're essentially animal, animal spiritualists. Huh. Interesting. That is Which is what you get. You have these right. people who have all these political abstract thoughts and right. behave like animals. Yeah. That's exactly what you would expect. And right. what Lewis predicted would happen. Yeah. And I, I think that that's what's happening. And I fear that that's what we're creating in our students. Yeah. In our government schools government that schools. are religiously acidic. So these are the, the cons. That's mm-hmm. the cons of government schools. Now, right. And I'm not saying, <clears throat> mind you, that every government school yeah. is educate is christianly acidic and it's christian education right but i think way more are than were 20 years ago right and i think most urban ones are right and that's a real problem right and then when when andrea and i were talking about what we we kind of went through these three options too public private homeschool and public school was the one that we just decided it, there's no way on earth that we're going to send our kids to public schools. If you live in Wanakee, let's say. If you live in Wanakee or anywhere right. around Madison. Yeah. And, and because you believe that the, that education is Christian acidic. Right. That there are, your kid is learning. See, see, part of the issue here is that. Well, I want to say too, yeah, even in the, in, in the rural areas, you know, Andrea right. went to school up there, uh, up in Those Northern. Those teachers are all going to the same teacher colleges. Yeah. And, and very and, few departments are as radical as teacher colleges. And a lot of the older teachers who were good when she was in school, those are, they're retiring. Right. And mm-hmm. so you see what ha- what's happening in the cities is now moving out into right. the rest of the, the states. The city is always a culture forming womb. Yeah. Of the society. Right. And so yeah. it's hard to be like, you know, if we moved out to the middle of nowhere, would we send our kids to public school? Probably not. I'd mm-hmm. maybe consider it more, but right. probably still would wouldn't really even consider. Yeah, there is there is a there is a conservatizing <laughs> effect oftentimes in the rural areas. Um but but yeah, that's a yeah. that's a big deal. And yeah. when I say that the teacher colleges are some of the most radical departments in the country, um when I say that I say that as somebody who I did my undergrad at a teacher college. Yeah. Like I like in the, and in the 90s that was true. Yeah. The education department was one of the more more progressive departments at the whole school I was at and yeah. I was at a very progressive school. Yeah. Cuz it was a state school, it was a government school. Right. 
And, and those transitions that already happened after, I mean, this happened in right. the 60s, basically, yeah. is the hippies went to, got their PhDs <laughs> and went to colleges yeah. and became the professors and they changed the culture. That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll say, so, so, I mean, as somebody who like, like, as far as I can think of, or, or kind of where I'm at right now is like public, I'm, I'm a very, I'm, I'm highly critical of the public school system. I went to the public school system in Madison. I had a really difficult time. Mm-hmm. And if I spoke my mind about things that I believed in, I would get in serious trouble, kicked out of class, ridiculed, mocked, made fun of yeah. by by people who are double, triple, quadruple my age right. that I was supposed to be looking up to. So my experience might right. be The teachers tied. advocated bullying. Yeah, they advocated. They, per, they, they were perpetrators. To certain groups. And then they're yeah. extremely sensitive about exactly. it for other groups. Right. right. What and that means is they're enforcing a religious ideology. Yeah. And it was established so, by the government. Right. It was extremely difficult for me to wrap my head around these things. And and, and so, yeah, maybe my, my, um, my, my opinions might be tied to an emotional... Uh, his, his emotional history right. that I've had with the schools, but I think I can actually um, give a couple pros that I can see to government schools. I think mm-hmm. I can actually do that. They well, are like if you look at them, just you step back. They are pretty amazing institutions of yeah. what they like, how many kids they house, and like how many people yes. they employ, and right. all the stuff that they do. And right. you know, it's, it is pretty right. amazing what they're capable yeah. of doing. And even even for somebody like me, like one one of my pros, and I've told people like. I don't think that I'd be who I am today without the public schools. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have ha- wouldn't have gone through like years of porn and just terrible, terrible things I was introduced to. Yeah, mm-hmm. might, that might be true, but but I learned to stick up for myself, and I because of one, mm-hmm. the, I disagree with the, the the ideologies, and I had to stand up if I believed that what I thought was true. I had to stand up, even if it meant that I didn't get a good grade in a class or I was made fun of. Mm-hmm. Two, you're I'm in a class with four or five hundred people, like. I have to stick up for myself. I don't want to get my beat up. I don't want to get made fun of. I have to stick up for myself and say the things that I think are true. Um, and and I just generally didn't see that to be the case in a lot of private or even homeschool kids. Mm-hmm. Their ability to to stand up and say what they believe in the face of like immense adversity yeah. where you have teachers, students, um, and like other faculty against you. Right. And, and I was like... You don't I, get the stress testing in homeschooling. Uh, yes, right. exactly. And so these are things that I'm... I'm extremely thankful for because yeah. I think it, it, I developed a thick skin that, that became a defense mechanism uh, for, for me to like repel people away from me. But when I'm then, but then when I started getting back into Christianity and then gave that to Christ in certain ways, I think he, he used that as a way for me to have some sort of thick skin where I need to have thick skin, but also be able to let people in where I need to let people in and, and yeah. not just repel them. And I think I wouldn't be who I am today as far as, being able to stick up in the face of adversity if I didn't go to public schools. Yeah. And, and I that's would say an extremely that, I would valuable. say the same thing for myself. Yeah. Right. So I, I was in the same, I wasn't, you know, I was kind of a, a nominal Christian. <laughs> I came to faith, but I lived a double life for yeah. a while. Yeah. And then at the end of my junior year, I was like, look, I, I'm a Christian or I'm not. Right. And so yeah. I became, I, I was much more faithful my senior year. Yeah. And then I went to a, a government university. Yeah. Right. And that school was like, as progressive and anti-Christian. I mean, right. not as you can imagine, because I mean, they, they were, they were pretty, they were yeah. nice people, yeah. but very condescending, yeah. very secularistic, right. very much believe that, like, I wouldn't be able to say it then, but, but like expressive individualism was the philosophy. Yeah. They were intellectual romantics. Yeah. Um, they liked to, they thought it was intellectually virtuous to flirt with horrific ideologies like Marxism yes. and like try to rehabilitate, yeah. you know, ideas that had killed a hundred million people yeah. and so on. And then, and then pretend that the 500 people, or 
you know, 500 to 5,000, depending on how you set certain numbers and guesses that the Spanish Inquisition was the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah. When it killed like, you know, 5,000 people. Right. Tops total possibly. Right. You know, it, rather than the ideology, ideology that killed millions and millions and millions and yeah, millions, right? Right. And just that kind of yeah. like stupid. But but like I had to learn to stand. <clears throat> yeah. And I did a terrible job, but I learned to stand. Like the, I yeah. got I, I you know when you look at a you stand facing an organization mm. of ten thousand people, and you right. say I will not submit. To yeah. It does something to you that that it's a gift. But th- but mm-hmm. here's the thing, it's a backhanded compliment to say right. you know yeah my wife cheated on me all those years and I learned how to love somebody who treated me terribly. Yeah. Right. It's that's not a compliment to your wife. Right. <laughs> and when you say the government schools yeah. made me who I am by yeah. beating the crap out of me, right. it's like an, it's like saying my abusive father yeah. beat me so much that right. now it's it's like the the boy named Sue song by Johnny Cash yeah. where he's like like he like his dad treated him really horribly. Yeah. And that made him tough. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then his dad wanted to take credit for it at the yeah. end of the song, and you're just yeah, and you're like okay, yeah. but that's stupid. That's not how that works. Yeah. So get... yeah, go- government schools did that for me. Yeah. And it, in but I don't think they had to. And yeah, I don't think they the, should have. And I think it was yeah. unvirtuous that they did. That was a, that's the big like dilemma here is that it's right. like if I could go back, would I go through public school again? I've asked myself this. Right. I, I don't I don't know if I could say absolutely yes. If if if, yeah. if I could learn those valuable lessons of standing up for what I believed in in a different way. Right. Then absolutely, I would never and, go back. And that's to one of the things school. that homeschool families do. Like, th- there's a huge speech and debate community. Yeah. Within homeschoolers, and so yeah. like my kids, when we did homeschooling, right. they were in speech and debate, and so they yeah. got critiqued, and they right. were in competitions, and they were right. in debates where like the other people right. were trying to rip up a new one. Yeah. It was more. It was more civil. There wasn't bullying and stuff. Right. I but I think one of the things to remember is this, and I I tell people this who like fight who are like parents of people like us they say see my kid really thrived Mm -hmm. they really became themselves in the in the government school system Mm -hmm. i always say yeah and your kid is one out of 15 or 20 or i would i would say that i mean one out of 15 or twenty thousand. i mean in some ways yeah so like this is a problem okay so like i've seen kids so like i've seen kids come through okay so like there's a family in our church called the flop myers and they've Mm -hmm. got one kid that went and played volleyball at eau claire and her her coach turned out to be a Christian and she's, her faith seemed to be doing fine. Yeah. And they're, you know, they have a middle son who mm-hmm. goes to crew at UW. He seems to be doing okay. Trying right. to find himself. Right? right. Okay. Great. Right. Your family did. Okay. Yeah. Great. Right. Um, a, there's maybe stuff I don't know about those kids' lives where maybe their faith is struggling more than I thought. Right. Yeah. But two, like, what about everybody else? Yeah. Right. right. So, like I, like I look at all these other families right. and their kid, they gave their kids, their schools, Christian kids, and they got back little Romans. Yeah. That's what they got. Mm-hmm. And in the, the eight hours a day that the school got with them was overwhelming, culturally overwhelming. Yeah. Especially when you add in adolescent differentiation where kids start to be thinking about being like their peers rather than like their parents. Yeah. And then virtually all their peers are secular and godless. Right. I'm, I'm trying to think of right now. I don't think, I don't think I can think of a single friend of mine from high school or middle school who was a Christian at that point mm-hmm. who Who's went to the universities and is still a Christian. I yeah. think they've all renounced their faith. Right. And in the, in the, the schools, it's so funny. You talk to people in school, they're like, well, maybe just your faith isn't that, isn't you know, that, isn't that believable. Yeah. Like, or, or maybe n- there's 5,000 people here who disagree with me and it's very difficult to stand up for what I believe right. in. And I'm just going to cower to what they well, say. This I, idea that like yeah. a, an adolescent is a hovering brain that makes only rational decisions. Yes. Right. Like how could you be that ignorant about human development? Yeah. It's crazy. Right. 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 Yeah. So I, I, I have no sympathy for those kinds of positions. No, yeah. what happened is you bullied the faith out of these kids out of these and faith. you're proud of yourselves right. and yeah. you're, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So that's a real thing. Right. Okay. Now here's the other thing though, too, is there's a lot of people who had bad experiences at Christian schools. Yeah. So I will, I just want to say real quick before we move on to yeah. private, I want to say that as far as I'm concerned, I don't think that the pros outweigh the cons in the public schools. And that's why Andrea yeah. and I chose not. I think in most government choosing. schools, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I think that that's why we're not sending our kids to public schools. K through 12, whatever they choose to do yeah. after that, I won't support them going to public, but if they want to, then they can do that. Yeah. I, yeah, I think these are really tough, sometimes really tough questions. Right. So, and I think it's, and yes, I agree with you, but I also think I know some families that do Christian education through eighth grade and then they go to, pop, and then they go to public schools. Right. I know, I know one family that like they're having their, one of their sons go to public school for his senior year because he really wants to play on a particular sports team. Oh, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, like I've heard, like, I know one yeah. family that they homeschooled, but they didn't homeschool during football season. So they didn't enroll their kids in the public school that they're zoned for. Their kids would play football. They really? do most of the fall semester. And then they pulled their kids to homeschool the rest of the year. Interesting. So their kids got to play on the varsity football team. I didn't even know you could do that. That's, yeah, you can. Uh, well, so, um, there's a lot of that. And then there's yeah. like, there's hybrid schooling. So for example, yeah. my son right now, he does, he goes to a virtual school, mm-hmm. which is a government school. Hmm. But he does it virtually and I can hear what the teachers are saying. And um, he's doing a lot more work on his own. It's more mm-hmm. like a hybrid homeschool, not homeschool. Yeah. The acidic effect on his faith does not appear to be any more than him playing video games. Yeah. You know? Hmm. So I think there are some, uh, there's issues like that. And, and yeah. also, man, there's some real differences in teachers. Yeah. There are some teachers that are Christian and aren't acidic towards Christian faith. Right. There are some Christian, there are some teachers who are Christians, but are acidic towards Christian faith because of all the worldliness they accept. Right. There are some non-Christians that are really careful to honor mm-hmm. in local parentis, mm-hmm. like kids and their families and their faiths. Mm-hmm. Now they tend to be a whole lot more um, honorable towards Muslim kids yeah. than Christian kids but right. or Jewish kids, but they, they are, some right. of them are. Yeah. Um, but then there's just a lot of teachers that think that they need to free kids from the shackles of the ridiculous religious beliefs of their families. Yeah. Um, or they believe that that's necessary in order for them to have the gender ideology or the race ideology they think is important to right. convey. Um, and I want to say, be really clear when I say race ideology, I don't mean, I don't mean the questions of critical race theory as an mm-hmm. academic discipline. Yeah. What mm-hmm. I mean is the perverted nature of critical race theory as it comes through these undergraduates that get degrees from teachers colleges mm-hmm. and that use that, use that as a like baseball bat to beat people with in their school curriculums right and so so like when sometimes people are like nick you know critical race theory is just a an area of discussion and like investigation within the academic realm and i mm-hmm. agree with that and i think it's a worthwhile endeavor i think that a lot of it's bad scholarship yeah but i think it's worthwhile scholarship and i think some of the things that they talk about are important and helpful yeah but the when when parents say mm. this this crap in our schools this critical race theory shouldn't be here we're not talking about the same thing. What they're talking about is a set of propositions kids are being taught about race mm-hmm. that tend to come from critical race theorists' writings, and then they get popularized and institutionalized. And critical and race, those are bad. Those critical, the critical race theorists, their ideas comes comes from Marx, Marxist Marxism. Like it, the, is, it is in an critical in, theory was like built on the intellectual genealogy is there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. critical theory is like a family and it, it comes from that sort of Marxist history. Yeah. To say that critical race theory is in itself Marxist. I, w- I wouldn't say that hmm. I, but I would say, you know, t- it, it's like saying that I am that something my mother is, I must be. Well, 
that's not technically true, but man, my mom had a lot of influence on me and some of that influence I may not even totally understand. Yeah. And so for example, the class, the class war in Marxism yeah. made it into critical race theory that like to see everything through the race war, right? Like Marxism saw everything through a class war. Right. I think it'd be really blinding to critical race theorists because they just want to attribute everything to race. Yeah. And so you, one of the ways you see this is you see critical race scholars seeing a disparity yeah. and saying that disparity can only like they assume it must be the result of racial differences. And I, one of the examples of this is there's a really good scholar at Harvard named Roland Fryer. Mm -hmm. And one of his, I mean, he did an incredible job researching police brutality in America or police violence in America. Yeah. And he was the person who proved pretty categorically that black men were not subject to being killed by police more than whites, but they were subject to more other non-lethal forms of physical violence okay. from police. Yeah. And they studied more than a million interactions between polices and subjects. And so they did the most rigorous research you most, can imagine. Yeah, and, and like Harvard lynched him. Like a couple critical race theorists that were from privilege, but that were black were put on this like probationary committee because one of his secretaries said that he had sexually made some sexually inappropriate comments. Yeah. And he made some comments that were like, yeah, that the, you shouldn't have done those. Yeah. Um, but for most people, they would have gotten an education thing or they would have gotten like slapped on the wrist. Right. Because he didn't sexually assault anybody or anything right. like that. He, he didn't harass somebody continually. Yeah. They're just like over 15 years of emails. There were two, three, four, five sentences that were like a little suggestive right. romantically. Right. That weren't good, yeah. you know? And um, they put him on two years of academic probation. They shut down his research. Right. And it, you can tell that there's other motivations to that. Oh, that, it's, that's it's because the, of the dark underbelly of critical race theory in yes, the university. Right, Absolutely. Right. And Roland Fryer's an economist. He doesn't really care about that crap. He's right. doing economics research. Yeah. He's actually interested in, in the truth. Yeah. Not theorizing. Right. So he has a, a data set that's incredibly rigorous. Right. Yeah. So like, and I would, I would say like, so on the Engage Equip podcast, we had, um, oh, who's, what's her name? She's a critical race. She's CRT scholar in, a, in the education department at the UW-Madison. She goes to Mount Zion Baptist. I'm blanking on her name right now. Yeah, I can't remember um, either. Anyway, she, like I did a, like an hour-long conversation with her about critical race theory. Yeah. And I thought it was really good and very Christian. But like, I wouldn't put her in the same category as Abraham Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. Because, because there's a difference between being a social advocate and being a theorist. Yeah. And one of the things that Oh, Gloria Ladson Billings is her name. Okay. One of the things that yeah. Gloria Ladson Billings wrote in one of her chapters that we discussed was mm -hmm. her, the title was what critical race theory isn't mm -hmm. because she's like, some of these things that that's not critical. race. Like, for example, she said, listen, critical race theory is incapable of any judgments Yeah. because it's a theory and it's non-moral. Mm -hmm. So for example, you can show a disparity and you can theorize that in America, everything has a racial bias to it. That racial is racialization is normal rather than abnormal. So you can presume that racialization is part of it, but that doesn't tell you what to do. Like sure. if racism is good, you might be like, oh, that's really that's good, good that thing. we should yeah. have more racialized policies. Or you could yeah. say, well, racialization is bad. We should yeah. have less of that. Right. Or you could say race, race distinctives are natural in sub communities socially. And so we should approve everybody's racializations right. that they put forward for themselves. Like there's, right. she's like, there's all these different sets of policies and ways yeah. you can talk about this. Right. And she's like, critical race theory can't answer any of those questions. Yeah. Right. That and that's actually true as this, as a, right. she's trying to be a scientist and a theorist and she's right. trying to be careful, but you read a book like Imran Kenny. He's like, listen, if you're not with me, you're against me. Yeah. And and he has all these progressivist, I and would he's say much more particularly radical policies that right. if you don't agree with him 
you're wrong. And he's much more popular than most of the other people. Yes. He's more popular Correct. because he's more radical and, pe- and because he can stir up more emotion. Right. And that's what people want. Right. And so when parents like in places like Virginia say, hey, we need we don't want this critical race theory stuff in our schools. Yeah. You see what the what the people what the advocates do is they go, what do you mean? You mean that pure critical race theory stuff that Gloria Ladson Billings does that is like very academic yeah. and very good yes. and it's like so very helpful and very philosophical. Yeah. You're against that. Yeah. You're a racist. Right. When that's not what right. they're upset about. What they're upset about is the stuff Kendi writes and right. like. Frankly, a lot of white women write right. about race. Yeah, that that makes it into teachers' colleges, and they're yep. taught and 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 make yeah. teachers not theorists mm-hmm. who help like help kids think about like is there something racialized about the way you're doing this, right? And what are you going to do about that? Yeah, versus like having this whole agenda of racializing education. Yeah, in a way that like parents are like you're you you can't do this without kids. Right. So I, so for example, like for me, I think CRT as a theoretical discipline has a lot of helpful things to say that I haven't heard other disciplines say very well and that I'm interested in. But critical race theory as a cultural phenomenon, as it comes out popularly mm-hmm. and then affects government schools and how things are talked with about with kids, right? I think it tends to be pretty catastrophic. Yeah. But I also think conservatives tend to hear the worst examples too. Yeah. But, but for me, it's right. not the worst examples that are the problem. It's the assumptions like that all disparities are racial when they're not. Yeah. Right. And, right. and just those little assumptions Things that are just blatantly not true, but are right. popular. Right. And then some stuff that are true. But so there's this place in Lewis's abolition of man where he says, um, he says, he's talking about this book written for grammar students. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm not interested in what Gaius and Titius, the guys who wrote the book right. said, what I'm interested is in the impression it will leave on the young reader's mind. Yeah. And that will affect his heart and beliefs about things for generations. So he'll take one side in a controversy rather than the other. Yeah. For reasons he doesn't understand understand. at an age, he can't understand what is being done to him. Right. That is my problem with CRT being taught by, by like people with an undergraduate degree who don't really even understand the theory and especially its limits. Right. And other critiques of those theories and so on. So that people then teach these in our schools to our kids and they're doing the things to them that they can't possibly understand what's being done to them. Yeah. And as Lewis said, they're getting the work of amateur philosophers when they they would have expected the work of professional grammarians. Or yeah. he says, if you send your kid to the dentist and he came home with his teeth untouched, but his head filled with the person's theories about like civil rights, <laughs> you wouldn't be happy. Right. Right. And and similarly, the parent, I think, has the yeah. right to send their kid to grammar and literature class and expect them to learn English grammar and literature rather than racial theories that the teachers don't even understand that well and that are yeah. changing every 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta we gotta move on from this because we got like twenty twenty minutes left or something like that. I'm 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 held to a I have another job a timer. Yeah, yeah Nick's Nick has a job. Um, so let's, so what are the alternatives if you reject government school? Right. right let's quickly next? discuss private school, and I really want to get into homeschool mm-hmm. because I think that that's the best option. Yeah, public Christian schooling is what I'm going to call it, which yeah. people call private schools. Yeah. So there are private schools that are truly private that are exclusive. The reason right? I think they call it private schools is because you got to pay. Well, they don't understand taxes. Right. Everybody. But, pays, you right? Yeah. To, but you have to pay for these things plus paying taxes. Right. So you'll have to pay for um, High Point Christian School and you'll also have to pay for all the other kids. Yeah, to go so there. you could call it consumer schooling, yeah. like school that you're willing to pay for. Yeah, yeah. there's lots of things you call it. But I think, I think recognizing that these Capitalism are public schools, school. these are schools are open to the public. Yeah. Now, I think one thing that's really important to say is this. A lot of private schools are worse than government schools. Yeah. Like if you go to an elite school in New York city, it's going to be worse than the public school Yeah, or the government school. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? So the idea that like I'm going to take my kids out and put them in quote private school, yeah. that's going to be better. I don't know. Yeah. You have to be very careful about what private school, because a lot of those private schools aren't held to some sort of like baseline well, standard. They're getting their teachers from the same teacher colleges. Yeah. Right. They are. And so, but it's the standards that th- that those institutions set. Yeah. There are differences. So like, yeah, you're not, you're not subject to the whims of the teacher unions, which are really, 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 really strong. Yeah. For example, um, you're the, it's also likely you're going to draw people who are, who want to teach in that environment. Mm-hmm. So either the, they might be a little less woke. They might be just more interested in higher standards. Right. Or they yeah. might like literature. Right. And so they'd really, they like, so, you know, if you did an English degree and then you did mm-hmm. education because you just love English literature. Right. And another person thinks that literature is a good way to engage in propagandizing the young, which is what they're often taught. Yeah. Not in those words, but that's what they're taught. That's that general, that yeah. you can make kids activists by helping them read the right literature. You yeah. can be very helpful in shaping their minds. Yeah. Right. What that means <laughs> is propagandizing the children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if they say, no, I want them to read all these different pieces of beautiful literature to help them be shaped. Do right? you think that, I mean, in some ways, like indoctrinating or propagandizing a kid is good, right? Like we all do it. So, so I would call, so it depends on how you define those words. If indoctrination just means putting doctrine into someone, then no, indoctrination is neutral. Right. right? In its natural sense. Like that's what and we all do. it must be done. All teaching is indoctrination by definition. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. indoctrination has the negative connotation of trying to get an right. idea that a person wouldn't accept naturally into right. them by artificial means, by the use of propaganda, right. that is. And, and I also would defi- define right. propaganda as things sold to other people that you don't believe yourself that are useful lies so by which you can control them. Control them. Well, that was Michael Knowles. He wrote a book on this and he yeah. was like, all you conservatives are getting this thing way wrong. When you say that you don't want your kids being indoctrinated, he's saying, he said, you do want them to be indoctrinated, but with the right doctrine. That, right. And, and and so stop, stop calling for not for people not to be indoctrinated, but start giving them new doctrine to indoctrinate with, or right. like give, give no other Right. I mean, have, have other ideas. Stop just being mad about the current ideas. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't be angry about CRT or, or common core. If you don't have any alternative and yeah. a lot of conservatives don't. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it Oram Hazoni that Yoram, Yoram Hazoni who, who's, who has like written this like nationalistic conservatism. Like his argument was conservatism in America was nationalistic Christian and conservative mm-hmm. and that and what he and what he meant by nationalist was believed in the principles of the founding of america as yeah. that america was a certain special idea and that that was what we are and we should pay attention to it and that we should we should res- nationalism in that sense is human beings can only live together if they share a society yeah and society is made up of shared beliefs and stories and those sorts of things and that has to be unified to a certain extent mm-hmm. diversity in that has limits mm-hmm. like diversity is good but it has its limits because if you have too much diversity you don't have a shared society mm-hmm. right and so you don't have you don't have a society, right? You yeah. have a bunch of people living near each other using right. institutions or cultural or economic dynamics, but right. you don't have any cohesion, which yeah. is going to create all kinds of problems. Yeah. Too much diversity is bad, right? Yeah. Obviously, you know, Handmaid's Tale, too much uniformity can be bad too. Right? And that's why people, I mean, I think that's why a lot of the world thought the United States melting pot was, could be catastrophic and dangerous. And yeah. confusion was really confusing because nobody else had done anything like right. that. Right. I mean, what happens if you have a nation that essentially was the institution of English common law? Yeah. It's an English country, basically. Right. And then you have people from all over the world come into oh, it. Everywhere. Yeah. That didn't 
that didn't live through the thousand year development of the English oh, common law yes. and the English constitution. Right. Right. And they have totally different ways of life and they just kind of assume this is basically that with like a few a free, little differences. Yeah, right. You know, so like what happens when a Colombian moves to America? Yeah. Right. They they bring their Colombian societal views of things. And so what they've heard on the news in Colombia their whole life is that the capitalists are bad. Mm -hmm. The socialists are good. I mean, they just they just elected a communist. Yeah. But it's because they've never heard any free news. Right. In their lives. Yeah. Yeah, The 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 communist news is telling them that communism's good. Right. They're like, they come here and they listen to MSNBC because it sounds right. It sounds like what they're used to. And then they vote for what they fled and they ruin our country. Yeah. Or, and they think that they're doing something good and they're trying to, say, to be noble. Californians moving out of California. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard, I've heard people are moving out of Colorado now. Right. Because it's becoming it's like they're like going to go state to state to state to state to state and just destroy right, each but one you of can't, them. You can't just leave because then yeah. they'll have Colorado and then they'll have Nevada and then they'll have New Mexico right. and then they'll have, I don't think, you, I don't think you just run. Like if no. you run, cause here's the thing, the fundamental reality of radicalism is that unless there are radical resistors, then six or seven percent of a population can completely change everything if they're highly motivated. Yeah. Right. The whole idea of radicalism is realizing that most people are, are you can walk all over them. The Shays Rebellion. Right. Yeah. You can walk all over them. So if you get a really highly motivated percentage of people and you can break five percent, man, you can do anything you want. Yeah. Right. This is how LGBTQ yeah. stuff became everything. Feminism. Yeah, feminism yeah. similarly, right? Yeah. The problem is, is that when people is that the only way to stop that is by having a similarly strong group of resistors. Yeah. But the problem is, is that oftentimes the people who resist are the most unsavory resistors. Yeah. Charlottesville, for example, mm -hmm. who will resist this woke mob? The white supremacists. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> crap. Yeah. That's yeah. not who you want. Right. You want what yeah. you want is somebody who's like a. But here's the you thing. You want reasonable people. Centrists yeah. are often squishes. Yes. So to yeah. have an incredibly principled. Centrist, centrist is they don't who know who will not yeah. back down and right. who will resist the radicals at the cost of their they don't own care life. enough like that's yeah. a weird personality yeah. how do you get those people like this is what happened in in um afghanistan yeah right the yeah. centrist people who like want to create this democratic government blah, 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 yeah. they just didn't have the gravel in their blood right. to kill the f that had the talibanis yeah and so the the taliban just wiped them they out just in 20 cared minutes more yeah you know what i mean yeah so like like and this gets back, I think this gets back to something that you talk about a lot, which is masculinity. Yeah. Which we said before this podcast, right, we would not talk we're going to try to yeah. stay away from it. It's like the, the ability yeah. of a person right. to tear someone's head off and then turn around and pick up a little child and that child feels safe in your arms because yeah. of the gentleness. Right. A humanity that is capable of doing that is one that Lewis would have said has to have a developed chest. Yeah. Yeah. The, that virtuous heart. That's what I was just going to say. Steer yeah. the, can steer the, desire right. in accordance with the truth of the mind. Right. The difference between the Taliban and the centrist is the Taliban has a really, really deformed chest, but at least they have a chest. Right. And the their chest has been doesn't. so overtaken by their desire. Yeah. Right. That they, it's strong. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But it's there and they're going to get more things done because they have it. Right. And Lewis argued that what we do in modern education is we actually eviscerate the chest. Eviscerate. When he has this... He has this thing. He's like, we we castrate and then bid bid the geldings be fruitful, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And if you if you give somebody education that's essentially castration, then you say, no, go out into the world and be fertile, mm -hmm. right? You just it's like, but that gets back to like the fact that Christian Christianly speaking, we look at the world and we realize that they haven't just lost the gospel in Christ and so on. They're now when you do that, you do what happens in Romans one. You actually lose your clarity on what a human is and mm -hmm. what humanity is and what creation is. Yeah. And when those things fall apart, 
your ideology will lead you in all kinds of really terrible directions. So right? what do you do? In the you, private school, what we call private schools yeah, what do you say quickly, are even, though? are often even worse. Yeah. So I would say if you're considering go using public Christian schools or privately run schools, yeah. you really need to get in there and find out what they believe and what find they don't what believe and why they exist and what, yeah. what they're trying to form in students and so on. And look at, you know, how, if they have statistics on this, but how successful the students are that graduate from that school, where they end up going, things like yeah. that, because it's all over the place. And that's what, it, yeah. that's what the, that's the, in my opinion, the beauty of the private sector yeah. is that you're going to have, I mean, yeah, your, your think, really good schools are going to be really good. Your really bad schools are going to be really bad, but it puts the burden on the parents. Yeah. I, to I really out. encourage people. I mean, I, I know this is not a Christian view. Like I wouldn't say, look, if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe this. Yeah. My sense of prudence about this is yeah. that it would be very wise for Christians to be very, very for choice schooling in America. Anytime oh, you can yeah. affirm choice schooling and for school and for voucher, a voucher yeah, system. that's essentially what that means. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. That ever that like money follows kids yeah. and kids can be enrolled wherever right. their parents want to enroll them. Yeah. And you'd be like, well, but that Nick, that it's going to take vital money away from the public schools or the government schools. And right. then that's going to hurt minority kids. No, it isn't. No. Look at Milwaukee. Parents have been putting their minority kids in private, these privately run schools and, and they're like, well, but the mismanagement, Nick, the mismanagement. No, it's not. Because right. listen, if you're a black mom and you say, I can leave my kid in the public school, the government school, and they will be reading on a fifth grade reading level in ninth grade, or I can put my, and be in a gang, or I can put my kid into this little tiny Christian school that's run incompetently. And in the ninth grade, he'll read on the fifth grade reading level, but he won't be in a gang. That is her choice. Right. Right. It's her choice. And she should have the, she should have the right to say, look, I don't even care if your teachers in the government schools have master's degrees. I don't care. Or even if they went to credit colleges, right. I want my kid to be safe. Yeah. I don't want my kid to be bullied. And again, I want my, yeah. my kid to be taught right from wrong right. in the traditional or biblical or even Christian sense. Right. Screw you. And I think every parent should have that right. I think yeah. it's the only way to be in local parentis truly. Right. And I think the affirmation of parental rights is something Christians have to hold to extremely strongly. Yeah. Because what you do not want, Christian, is the state to decide how you should raise your kids. Right. They're because they're going to decide the, the wrong in, thing. The yeah. state believes in, well, whatever's popular. Right now, right. it's expressive individualism, yeah. which is utter idolatry and godlessness. And and, and that's not even, that's not like, I wouldn't say that's even liberal or conservative. Like, I think both no. sides of the aisle are going to do the thing that's going to help get them elected, generally speaking. And that's going to be the most popular thing. And so they're going to put... They're going to put stuff into into action that are going to get them elected. I mean, or stuff into yeah. into yeah, policy I mean, right that's going to get them elected. Is not, is we not don't even know what better. a conservatism I, is. Yeah, There's I, no I mean, definition. Like, I think Yerma Hazoni is right that like at what like when we when we lost a sense of what we were as a nation, right? Nationalism in a good sense went away, and so with the conservatives that became more nationalistic became nationalistic in the more European blood and soil kind of way, which usually has a connotation of race built into it too. Yeah. And so we lost our sense of what a good nationalism right. would be in conserving things. Christianity was pushed out. So you didn't have Christianity. Instead of, you're saying instead of conserving values, they started to conserve. Instead of conserving a Christian. Their, the materials. Love of our nation in, as the form of a united society around certain things. Yeah. That was also believed in economic and legal freedom. Yeah. They lost. We lost the, the good nationalism. Mm -hmm. We lost Christianity. Yeah. And so all we're left with was freedom. Right. And then freedom became more libertarianness and like economic libertarianness, yes. which is not really defensible. This is how you can have hate. gay conservatives. Right. Which wouldn't have been even a thought process like 60 years ago, 50, Right. But it's, it's also a, it's like, it's not morally better. It's not a conservative is not morally better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so 
And so like our hope's not our, what our hope is, is like, if we have choice, like right here in Madison, right? Like there's right. one city school right. run by, um, Kaleem care. Right. And he's not a believer. Right. He's an African-American guy that wants an African-American led school. And I'm like, mm-hmm. awesome. Right. Yeah. And every one of those kids should get a voucher and go to that school and they yeah. just get to try what they want. And parents should get the choice. Yeah. Right. And we have a Christian school. Yeah. We're different. Right. And then Marcio is leading like a Christian school, but like the kids learn Mandarin there and it's very focused on Latino subculture and it's like ordered around catching kids up, right? $15,000 a year federally goes towards each kid, like around $15,000 a year. Now you get- If you you add in everything, Wisconsin levies $19,000 a kid. Yeah. And I'm sure that you could could slice that in half. We get seven something per kid. If we got that kind of money- it would be unbelievable. We'd be building like kids. high schools and you'd be building all these. Yeah. Right, right. This is why the, the government system build these schools that are, that look like space stations. They have million dollar weight rooms in mm-hmm. them and they can't get kids up to reading level. Yep. And the reality is like you, people like, you know, they have a bunch of crap, but they don't have a, they don't have yeah, a good system. You don't they need don't, yeah. any of that stuff right. to educate kids. You don't need a single computer. Yeah. You don't need air conditioning. You just need books. All you need is not asbestos. In the room, right? You need like a yeah. room that's warm enough that's not distracting. Yeah, it's not, and you need books. Yeah, and a teacher and who knows math, yeah, right? And that's it. Yep. Like even the Common Core stuff, like they're trying to make it more inclusive. But like I've watched my older daughter who got good at math teaching yeah. my younger my younger daughter, and basically what I hear her say over and over again is, "Okay, don't pay any attention to the way these adults have explained this. Mm-hmm. Just look at the problem." And how it's being solved. And you can you can teach yourself math by doing that. Yeah. And that's what I see kids all around me doing is like, <sighs> yeah. is that like, we're trying to make make it better, make it more inclusive, and we're making it worse. Super confusing. And kids know less. Right. Okay. We had to move because we got like two minutes left. To talk about homeschooling. Homeschooling, homeschooling is a decision that my wife and I have decided that we're going to go with. Mm-hmm. And mostly because I'm probably a control freak and I want to create the curriculum and help do all that because I don't, I'm, if, if I'm, yeah. if, if anybody's going to fail my kids, it's going to be me. Um, so if I fail them, then, then that's my fault. Not the yeah. public schools. Um, homeschooling, you, you have kids yeah. homeschooled. What's the, what, what are the pros of homeschooled? I mean, the, the cons are that your kids can end up being really weird. That happens yeah. all the time with homeschool kids. Yeah. It depends on a lot of things actually. Yeah. So if you, if you, if your wife is open to it, cause usually the, whoever the woman is, usually they're going to take a lot of primary responsibility. Right? Yes. Right. And so you got to make sure that they're as into it as you are. You know, like my, you talk my about wife this during dating. Yeah. My yeah. wife said to me when she, we made this switch, she's like, I want to homeschool our kids. Yeah. I did not push for it. Yeah. She was like, I'm looking at what they're going to learn. I'm thinking about the process of parenting. Yeah. I'm thinking about what I've sacrificed to be a mother. Yeah. And if I don't sacrifice this too, all the, I fear all the other sacrifices I've made as a mother are going to be for nothing. Yeah. Cause somebody else is still going to take control of the mind of my children. Yeah. And so she wanted to do it yeah. right now. It's tough because if your kids are difficult to teach, <laughs> it can be tough. Right. If you don't have the knowledge yourself, like we did a classical curriculum. Well, Lexi had never taken Latin. You know, so that can be tough. Yeah. Sometimes there's a lot of support. Sometimes they're not, there's not. So we did classical conversations and there was like a community of homeschoolers. Yeah. That's not always the case. Sometimes you're out there by yourself. That's tough. Yeah. Right. There is the issue of huh. social interaction because you can make weird kids. Now, a lot of those kids, their parents are weird, you know, <laughs> that's true. Or they are quirky. Sometimes homeschool kids are weird because they were already weird and they were going to get bullied horrifically at school. Yeah. And so their parents gave them the gift of homeschooling them. Right. But they're still weird. Yeah. Right. It's not like homeschooling made them weird. Right. Right. Part of it too is like, there's a lot of weird kids at public school. Yeah. Right. Right. So what I would say to Christians, I would say, okay, one, consider whether or not, like it may be that you should send your kids to the private, to the quote private school. 
yeah. so long as it's really Christian and if you can afford doing it. Right. And you can afford it more than you thought because if you really get rid of all the expenses that you don't need, you have more money than you thought. Right. So there's that. I, I think with homeschooling, um, it's good to find a mentor. Mm-hmm. Find somebody who's done it. Like there's t- there's so many resources. There's just mm-hmm. like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of resources out there. There's homeschooling conventions. There's mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. kinds of people who have done it. And I think more that, people are doing it now than like yeah, ever before. Right. So and it's going to grow a lot. Resources. Yeah. As as the schools get more, because like the first big wave of there's been two big waves of private schooling. Mm-hmm. One was Catholic because Protestants were controlling them and trying to discriminate again. And then right. when when prayer got taken out of the school, there were some people that were like, look, if the school isn't going to be Christian, my kids aren't going to go there. Okay, yeah. fine. But there was this whole long period of time where it felt like education was fairly religiously neutral, right? And and most people were willing to put up with it. Yeah. But what's happening now, and it's happened in the last 15 years or so, is, is that schooling has become, in the government schools, very acidic to Christian yeah. faith. So much so that if you let your kid marinate in that, Christianity becomes unthinkable to them in a yes. way they don't even understand and that you don't even understand. It's at a deeper level right. than just a little argument about evolution. Right. It's like... You, they can't even think religiously because they're men without chests. Right. And so I just think like you can't send your kid to that. And this can become so difficult for the church to preach the gospel to these people. Yeah. The church cannot overcome that. They hate it. Yeah. We, we can't like you can't we can't send our kids to a hour day education mill. And l- listen, yeah. let's you, like I know some people are hearing this be like, Nick, is, you're being so fundamentalist and so like reactionary. Listen. This is 100% exactly what John Dewey said he was doing when he set up the public school system. Like 100 years ago, when John Dewey, who was like one of the most well-known intellectuals in American history, said, basically, we need to do this so that the state schools can educate kids so that we can have a unified country. And then he said in a number of places, including private and a few public, because the, their parents are so ignorant, they won't make progressives out of them. Yeah. Only we can do that with the government school system. That's why we must have kids in school full time, eight hours a day. Yeah. Like the entire system was made. And the parents were lazy. They're like, yeah, this sounds great. I don't have to take responsibility. I mean, I, I have a problem with parent and we have to. Well, this part thing, of this like, was the creation of consumer culture, the devaluation yes, of the dollar. Right. And then parents entering into two edu- two income Femin- lifestyle. Fe- feminism because of w- women in the workplace. It was partly feminism, but part of it was just two two earner lifestyles all of a sudden from the 19 like 1955 through 77 or so our ability to spend more money on ourselves to buy stuff increased yes. by like 250 percent. i don't remember how much but it's like an enormous amount well and i'm sure that it comes with what comes with that is the the pressure to buy stuff that you don't need because there's yeah. more stuff and everybody around you and right. credit and for a while yeah for a while one of the things mm. people don't understand is because now it feels like both people are working just to make ends meet. But when this started in the forties, yeah. fifties and sixties, when women started going to work and they were making kind of real money on the side, yeah. you could really get something for that. It fundamentally changed your lifestyle right. because the whole society was set up for one person to go to work and to make enough money and right. for the dollar to be worth enough in purchasing power so that like, so that you could actually run a household. So mm-hmm. then when the woman went to work, it made this huge economic difference to buy things that were consumables. Right. The problem is, is that as women entered the workforce, the value of labor went down. Yes. And so then it increasingly took two people working to live at the lifestyle people wanted. Yeah. Even though that lifestyle was increasing marginally by the increase of consumer goods coming in through the 60s and 70s. Right. Right. And so it fundamentally changed the American family forever. Yes. 
And parents were no longer really the main focus of who was raising their children. And that moved over yeah. to the public school system. And now we have schools. what we have today with the, then the, the children with no Then the schools continued to, yeah. to radicalize. Yes. And now we have, we've already given our kids over to those schools. Now they've been radicalized yeah. and now we've lost them. Right. And so now we're kind of stuck in the situation where either we, A, reform the government school system. Which is probably not going to happen because it's so embedded. Is, it's very difficult. I don't want to yeah. say it's not going to happen, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Two, we can create our own, our own parallel school system and try to get choice schooling yeah. or C, we can educate our children ourselves. One, two, or C. Yeah, one two or <laughs> in our education but podcast. Th- essentially, those are our <laughs> right. those are our options. Yeah, and I th- my answer is all three. I think Christians who are homeschooling their kids yeah. and in putting their kids in private school should be part of working to change the government schools. Yeah, because they have the largest impact. And yeah, if, if we want to if we want to make an impact on the next generation, we have to care about where they're getting their education from. Right, and yeah. it's not just our Christian children who are being raised to be men without chests. Right. All children are being raised. To be men and women without chest. Yeah. And that is abuse. Yeah. And I'll say real quick before we end this thing that when I said, I, I mentioned feminism like three times in this and I know that I probably, people already probably think that I'm like anti-women or something like that. Look, Andrea is an engineer. She works in one of the most like masculine job jobs in the entire world like and i'm all for it i she's a great engineer she does a great job at that i'm for her working she'll probably work when we have kids i don't so and you listen to her and i listen to her all gives, the time she like gives you peace of her mind and she was the one who wanted yeah. i mean she wants to teach our kids too like she was so we make we make decisions mutually when i say things about feminism i just think that we need to take take a closer look at that and to say okay has this been helpful or harmful and in what ways can 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 we make this better? So mm-hmm. I'm not saying feminism is the worst thing ever. There's really yeah. good things that came out of feminism. I'm saying, but there's also bad things that came out of it. And that's how most things are. There's good yeah. and bad things that come out of it. Yeah, I, yeah. The public schools aren't the way they are because of feminism. Yeah, no, yeah. not at all. Yeah. But yeah, ex- yes, exactly. So all right, so so we're gonna finish this off because I'm gonna get in trouble if we don't. Um, we we might do another podcast on this and go more in depth into some of these things because we yeah, we if, scratched if people the surface. Are really interested, like write in Education. if you're interested, and we'll yeah. get some we'll get some parents on here who've homeschooled their kids, and right? They'll talk to you more about that or Christian why public they chose, school teachers. Yeah. I, I talked to a couple, or I talked to one for this podcast. Yeah. Um, and it was an interesting conversation. So. Right. Yeah. There's a yeah. Affirm and help and support all the Christians you know in the government school systems right. who are who are administrators or teachers. They're just they're trying to do good. They yeah. are doing something that is noble to do. Hmm. And um, I I just, we just really want to. I just I mean I can't honor those people enough. They're yeah. working. It's harder and harder. It seems. Yeah. Um. But what they're doing is worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, share, subscribe this or little row subscribe this like. Share this with your friends. Subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.